Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. My guest today is an artist of over 22 years who has worked on games, movies, medical CGI projects, but he's probably best known for the work on Star Wars Rogue Squadron games, uh, Rogue Leader and Rebel Strike. I'd like to welcome Kashad Karatash. How are you? Uh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Reese. I appreciate you taking time out. I'm sure you're a busy person. Oh, yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> How was it working on Star Wars? I'm not sure if you were much of a Star Wars fan back in the day, or was it something that just caught you completely off guard? How was that experience? Yeah. Well, I was originally an Alien fan. and Nice. I, <laughs> I wasn't really like, if, if it said there's a dichotomy between Alien and Star Wars universe, but I was originally an Alien fan because I like to work on creatures, you know, stuff like that. And that's one of the reasons uh, I started working in 3D because I figured I could make creatures. Um, and so that's how I started back then around 1996, started with um, Real 3D, Imagine 3D on uh, PC, and then moved on to Lightwave. And I started making like uh, some creatures, some models. Um, back then it wasn't, it wasn't as easy to make these stuff especially given the hardware's like I'm talking about 8486 kind of hardware where you have like you're on a 100 megahertz computer or 200 no graphics cards no <laughs> nothing so it was really hard and there was there weren't really many um uh, learning resources out there like no youtube no internet was mostly text so it was really a hard time to really get into it. But the good thing was that there were many people doing it back then. So that's how kind of I started. And I started doing, you know, like creatures, uh, kind of goofy stuff, you know, trying to attempt to model human beings, et cetera. So somehow someone saw my work and shared with their friend and their friends were working at uh, Factor 5 and they needed someone to build, uh, work on some creature stuff and mainly creatures, but some other stuff too. So that's how I got into the Star Wars stuff, basically because there were many people who were making this stuff and I was able to do them and, and on low, low hardware, cheap hardware, software, if you will. And so that's how I got into um, games. Games weren't really in my mind, but I was, I, I, you know, I come from a retro, retro background, like Commodore 64, Amiga, you know, games are always part of our childhood but not necessarily uh, as a profession but then i figure hey this is 3d i got I'll, I'll make 3d stuff i'll make you know computer graphics it, it didn't really the context didn't really matter or the content didn't really matter to me because all i wanted to do was just model texture render you know animate stuff like that so that's how i got into it but i wasn't like i said i was more into alien stuff and then once i started working on star wars i I realize, uh, you know, some of your stuff is on the little goofy side, like creatures. It is, yes. Designs. But, you know, what I realized that their uh, production value was really high quality. You know, like they, they'll, um, the, the movies themselves or the games, like you are working with like really high quality production environments, if you will, like um, really talented people, uh, sometimes a lot of reference, sometimes not. But, you know, I was able to, Kind of fit in well in that in that universe in the Star Wars universe when we were making the games, if you will. You know, and there are a lot of people who knew how who knew Star Wars. I didn't need to, you know, 
make guesses. Now I'll be told, I will be told what to do and how to maneuver through the content and look at the references. So that's how I got into the Star Wars games. And um, yeah, that's, I'll say I wasn't necessarily a fan, but I became a, involved in the, in the Star Wars projects. Okay, so, just looked like that. This was the initial process, yeah. Yeah. So, did you guys get reference material from, like, say, LucasArts or ILM? Yeah. So, the one thing is, like, when you generally work in games nowadays, like, you will have concept artists, you will have a lot of, uh, you know, like, a, other other type of artists where they'll design uh, these uh, characters, you know, like, uh, spaceships, environments, or you will be doing them prior to production work but in the star wars case there are a lot of reference at least the you move the movies were out there so given the, the work that we were doing were based on the movies right mm. so um we had the movies but sometimes we will have some little more reference sometimes not as much um i, I mean they were we were next to lucasarts basically the the factor files building was really like a couple meters away from lucasarts if you will and they were they were we were doing exclusively uh, LucasArts materials and the games were replaced. Uh, so I'm sure there were some, you know, more organic talks between them regarding how the content should be going forward, how it should be created. But uh, on the ground, I didn't necessarily have the, um, you know, like I wasn't able to like ask for, hey, can I get this reference? I'll just talk to the managers and most likely we'll get them or we will just hey, have the DVDs and just check out through the DVDs or the frames. Because we were mostly trying to create the universe, like the Star Wars experience, you know, like it was, we weren't really trying to create a unique game. And in the Star Wars movies, they all did the old legwork regarding the designs and, and the con concept art and the environments. And having the movies was a good, you know, we can always reference, that's like your ground truth, if you will. Yeah, well, I suppose because there was the original Rogue Squadron game as well that you could right. also reference. You could go back and look at that game and see what you guys yeah. did. I mean, you you didn't yeah. work on the first game, but I suppose I you could use it as a reference point, right? Right. But sometimes, I mean, you know, some of the stuff, you don't necessarily need to know a lot. Like if you only have a frame of a creature, you can, uh, can kind of get it if you know how to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like even I remember working on some of the creatures where, I didn't necessarily have frame, like reference like books or anything, only just some frame or two from a movie. So you just kind of work your way through until it looks good on in the game. And sometimes these things were, weren't necessarily, you weren't really doing 360 around them, right? You were just, they were part of a cutscene. You're looking at them from a distance. So you would, you need to uh, kind of be smart about how you're going about it and, and kind of make a decent uh, production asset. That looks good for the time being on that particular hardware. Yeah, so I suppose obviously there's cases in the game, I think specifically Rogue Leader, which are mm -hmm. taken directly from the film. So say like right. Hoth, Hoth and the Death Star, right? So right, right. I mean, I'm trying to put myself in your position, but yeah. you could theoretically just go to the movies and then maybe just use a mm -hmm. still frame if you didn't yeah. have a direct reference. Yeah, that's that's kind of what we did. That's kind of what we did. Sometimes we didn't necessarily have, like, you know, there weren't, like I said, internet wasn't really full of Star Wars references back then. Mm. 
finding a picture on the internet was was a big thing if you you know it's like finding a bitcoin right <laughs> it was because internet was very small and uh, and the, the the bandwidths weren't really high as much as today like one or two kilobytes a second or five kilobytes a second so and storage was a limit was limited also so Basically, most of it was, like you said, just checking out the movie because we were also, if I remember right, we were just uh, creating like certain, like the, our levels were based on the movies. Like you're trying to create this experience that was like a, this chase experience or, you know, like a going after a certain kind of character kind of experience, you know. So it wasn't, it wasn't like, it was too hard at the same time. It was hard that we didn't have like an epic, you know, 10 drawings of Chewbacca or a looks, you know, like a 25 scans of Luke Skywalker. You know what I mean? We didn't have any of that. We only had the, if we had the books, couple books, and we had the um, the movies, like you said. Mm. But nowadays things are much different, right? Like people uh, have all kinds of references, videos, 3D scans. Yeah, you've got endless reference material these days. Even yeah, if even right. if LucasArts didn't give you anything, you'd have so much to go off. So I imagine it would be a lot more streamlined. <laughs> yeah, I, I well, here's the thing. You know, back then, I don't remember. Maybe LucasArts gave or ILM gave one or two models or references. Um, but I remember most of the stuff that we did, we built them from scratch. Like, for instance, I was mainly responsible for the organic models except the humans because they needed a special care. And I was more in the, like creating all the uh, creatures or the foliage and, you know, stuff like that. And our team was very small. We were a couple modelers. I was the only one I believe doing the texturing and the modeling at the same time. A couple modelers, couple texture artists, a couple level designers. And we were just creating most of it from scratch. You know, retroactively, thinking retroactively, it feels a bit impressive that we did all that at that time, given uh, the hardware limitations and time budget limitations. And GameCube, GameCube was new, right? You know, it wasn't even out that you couldn't play the. I was never able to play the game on that hardware myself while really? we were working. Well, because there were only one or two dev kits in the studio, like, and then oh. you you only. Basically, the, the the dev kits were mainly shared for between the uh, I believe uh, the level designers and the programmers. The artists didn't really have a dev developer kit. The compete the hardware didn't exist at that time, right? Um, and uh, it was it was like uh, and you we didn't necessarily have a way to test our models, unlike nowadays where you could, you know, test your models in Unreal even if you're working for some mobile phone, right? If you're going to export to mm. um, a mobile uh, uh, platform, you can still test your uh, look or the asset inside the game and in the gameplay using Unreal or Unity or Godot game engine, right? So back then we didn't have an engine that will be running on our computers. The engine was, if I remember right, was running on the hardware on those couple uh, limited uh, game de uh, GameCube developer kits. So if you need to see the model, you had to tell the level designers and level designers will put in the level when they have time or when it's part of the level and then we will check them. So it was it was a little wow. working in the dark at the same time. Yeah, yeah. 
that seems like a a long drawn out process just to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm now impressed that, you know, that, that I'm not talking about it, right? I'm not impressed that we did that without actually being able to um, test all that stuff on the hardware. Uh, because like I said, game, I, I think Rogue Leader was an exclusive GameCube exclusive for the yes, launch type. it was. You still can't yeah, even so... play it anywhere. You can't play it <laughs> yeah. anywhere else even these days. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> Maybe, maybe, you know, we will, we will see, like, it will be nice to play another uh, hardware too. But uh, so basically, like I said, we weren't really able to test our stuff. We were just working in Maya. I think that was Maya 2. This is the year 2000 and 2001. And we were working in Maya and we will just uh, create the textures in Photoshop. There wasn't any, like, necessarily a 3D texture painting. We will just export our UV layouts and paint them in uh, Photoshop. And then kind of do a rough test, uh, just make sure the texture looks okay in the Maya report. And then we will be exporting them and they'll be exported and bundled for the hardware overnight. I think the game, I think they were compiling the game overnight. And in the morning, the level designers and the programmers, they'll test the, uh, lay, uh, the levels. And then once they do that, um, they, we might get some feedback, oh, this model looks broken or this texture looks broken or this needs this. And then we will just operate based on those feedbacks afterwards. So you mentioned you never got any of the dev kits. So does that mean that you didn't actually get to play the game properly until it was released? Yeah, that's right. What? That's right. That's right. I mean, here's the thing, though. There might have been some parties where, like, you will be playing, like, people will get together, play a level, a finished level, or, or... But, like I said, the... I mean, you need to understand these development kits, they are rare, right? Like they are sent by, sent from Nintendo. Mm. They are sending it to you and they are, are under intense NDAs and they are sending it to this stuff to um, work on specific hardware that doesn't exist, right? And these hardwares, they weren't really finalized, I believe. You know, like they're also working on it at the same time. While we're working on the game, the software side, I'm sure they are also constantly testing and getting feedback from our programmers, um, you know, sending patches, maybe writing better compilers. Uh, so it was always, I think it was always, that kind of process was more uh, organic back then between the developers and the hardware developers. Uh, right now you are a little more abstracted, I believe, you know, you're not necessarily, unless you're like, say, you know, PlayStation exclusive developer, you might be doing that still, but for the other game developers, you don't really do that kind of exclusive hardware deals with the, uh, you know, hardware manufacturers. Like, you're, let's say you're working on Android game, you know, you won't be able to really get in contact with Google and say, "Hey, I want, you know, I want this improved for myself so that my game runs a little better," stuff like that. Yeah, because with Rogue Squadron Three Rebel Strike, there were on foot right. missions, right, with actual characters as opposed to yeah. in the other games, yeah. right? Because I, I imagine right. in the other games, if you had people in the games, they'd be tiny little minuscule, almost yeah. like stick men. So you wouldn't have to have right. much geometric detail. So right. with Rebel uh, Strike, because obviously I've seen your picture where I think it was you did Chewie and uh, one of the Death Star. What is it? Death Star Imperial Pilots, I think that you did. 
Yeah, that was a shadow. Like I did a lot of them. The the ones that you saw on my website, I only put a couple of them. I I modeled like you know some scientists, some like like this pig like what's his his name pig like uh, on solid pit level, pig like character Gamorian something like that. Oh uh, yeah. And I did the um I did um like common lizard guy or you know i i model i think i model a lot of like tons of characters but these are all like you said they're always generally they're very small and on the ground or uh for the rebel strike we see them a couple of them like like chewbacca one i think it's in the this like you're with him and the in the uh one of the levels you're kind of walking around or running around with the with chewbacca and a couple other characters but most, like you said, most of the characters for the role leader, they were generally on the ground or in the cutscenes, I believe. And for the Rebel Strike, um, we had to do a little more detailed versions of them. Mm. So what do you find easier to draw? More character-based things or, say, technological-based things like ships or science fiction stuff or environmental backgrounds? Like, What's, what's the thing that you feel that you're a master at in terms of drawing. Oh, well, I think that I was originally like always anything like let, um, let's talk about the from the stuff from the game. I mean, anytime there's some kind of organic looking thing, or it's like I'll, I'll the, it will be on me. No one else will take it. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So basically, yeah, I, I'm more I like to work on more organic stuff. But over the years, I worked on all kinds of production stuff, so I know how to do the other stuff. But if I'm going to do it myself, I try to do more organic or creatures, stuff like that, you know, or hum humanoid stuff, basically, which is kind of the, the mix that I did for the rogue, rogue leader and the rogue, uh, uh, rogue leader and rebel strike games. How much of the prequels influenced the game at all? Because I'm trying to think, like Phantom Menace, I think had just come out. I'm trying to remember because yeah, I think Rogue Leader what it released in two thousand and one was it? Yeah, that was two thousand one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Phantom Menace was out. I don't think episode. I don't think. Uh, Attack I, I of think Clones we had the droid droids in the in in Rogue Leader uh, Rebel Strike one. So we we had probably a couple. Um, if if I remember that the droids, droid soldiers uh, were in these new movies and then we had them in the foot missions too because i've, I've seen uh, your but, little stencil drawing of liam neeson right from phantom menace yeah 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 was it but that was that was i done much later years 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 oh later. years later yeah yeah years years later yeah not at the same time frame yeah well it's still it's, it looks good <laughs> looks, looks amazing yeah thanks i mean that was just a practice stuff but um yeah back then i didn't necessarily because i was the production artist like i didn't necessarily have a direct connection with with the uh, backdoor conversations regarding how the game should be designed or what they were doing i was mainly involved in the daily production of assets and textures and and i've done some level work uh, i believe for the deck going back to the question about you know different levels of detail stuff between uh, rogue leader and rebel strike uh because rogue leader was mainly flight missions right you were in a uh, spacecraft and going around uh, doing the miss missions and we had the uh, uh foot missions on on the uh, in the rebel strike game so we had to come up with uh, levels a little more detailed i believe that 
at Factor 5, you, they were developing a new level tool, uh, just level texturing tool in a way. So I worked on that with another programmer, and that was, uh, I, I would basically stamp particular tile, create a tile, and then stamp them, create a tile, stamp them, and create something like hot level, the, the, uh, the, the snowy levels. And one of the, I don't remember the name of the level. It was like a kind of valley where you're uh, on the foot just uh, shooting at uh, droid soldiers. Mm. So how much would it yeah. take to just do one? Approximately how much How much time would it take? One a level like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. I think I worked on a couple of weeks probably because basically I will need to, I will create tiles, small tiles. And then those tiles I'll use the, so the tool we were that was developed was letting me or letting the artist to pick a tile and and stamp it on a on a on the level so you're just going around like one by one stamping rotating the stamp and then uh, just to making sure that it makes sense when you're on the ground level so uh, and the you know the texture level need to levels need to be reasonable so that it doesn't look like you know that this uh the main character running around and running around a blurry environment. So it, it was always a challenge to do that at that time because the texture memory was always a problem and nowadays it's a problem for the really modern hardware. But back then, you know, imagine your the tiles that I was making probably like 32 by 32 or 64 by 64. Um, and some of the ground levels were done that way. Uh, just basically an in-house develop uh, level tool if I remember right. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Did you ever try and chime in a design idea to the designers? Oh, like I said, you know, Star Wars, you know, universe was, is generally like well established in terms of even back then in terms of like characters, who is who, what's what. And, it, and then we were just, I think, targeting uh, Star Wars experience, just trying to create an experience from the movie. So I don't think that the company, Factor 5, had a lot of like design choices to make, but sometimes, you know, during the production, you just interact with other people daily, like level designers or the programmers. And sometimes you talk to a programmer, let's say I was working on this, uh, yeah, I, was it the oven where the big temples are? I made those big temples too. And then there were like, you're flying over like kind of touristy environment. I mean, obviously we didn't have the hardware uh, budget to really do that. I mean, the polygon budget or the texture memory budget. So. I had to create literally like uh, trees with couple polygons, and then we had to fly over, you know, make a flyover. But it still need to look like an impression of a forest, right? It had to give you the impression of such such environment, even though we didn't necessarily have that. So you will just constantly talk to the programmer, try something, and then go back. Like, Can we just try this? And talk to the production, you know, the other uh, producers or the production managers to uh, figure out how long this is going to take, how much more we need to work, and when to stop. When you know you have to stop at some point, you can't just keep forever. So well, the way we did it back then, so basically the middle part. So let's imagine it like a little area of trees. So the middle part is just some polygons, just one giant polygon with a bunch of uh, displaced points, vertices, uh, and then uh, then some textures on it. And then we put like uh, trees around that, the periphery of the, 
this patch. So that kind of gave the impression of when you're flying with a spacecraft, flying over it, it doesn't suck. So that's kind of what we were trying to make, something that doesn't suck because we had hardware limitations. We, we couldn't really do uh, as much, even though you could do like instancing and uh, other, other tricks even back then in the game engine, I believe, but you still, uh, you are still limited with uh, poly polygon count per um, per frame, and we were, uh, I think I mentioned this before, we, um, we we were targeting 60 frames per second. I think one thing that you realize when you play the game how smooth it is. Yes. So that's because we were always trying to be working with optimization in mind, like constantly, like let's say. I'll always have a polygon budget. I couldn't just go, you know, like work on a creature with unlimited amount of number a number of textures and polygons. I, I always like had to work within say 300 to 2,500 polygon range. And some of them that will include their, their tools or their weapons as well. Um, and that's same with the foliage. Foliage is even, you, you even have less uh, polygon budget because then when we use them, we use a lot of them, like the ferns or the uh, in the ender level where you do this uh, speeder chase, speeder bike chase. You have a lot of trees, right? You have a lot of foliage on the ground. They're all very simple geometry, but we were just trying to create the experience. So uh, physically correct, accurate models, it wasn't necessarily uh, the main target, but we were just trying to create an uh, experience. If if what we did was good enough for the experiment, then we will stop at that point. Because uh, the like I said, the FPS was very very important for the gameplay. Yeah, well, it it was pretty solid in terms of the frame rate. But the other thing is, Rogue Leader specifically is probably one of the best looking games on the GameCube. Yeah, and it was a launch title as well, which is crazy. So yeah. you guys had already pulled it off, tapped into the hardware fully right at the beginning of of the of the generation. Yeah, I, I think that there were. I mean, you remember these guys, or, original Factor Five people. You know, they made uh, Turrican on uh, on uh, Commodore sixty four and Amiga, I believe. And you know, they they were always they always understood the frame rate and, and gameplay. You know, having such background was uh, really, really important for those games, I believe. You know, that's kind of, that kind of experience was important. You, you couldn't just put any game developer in place of Factor 5 and, you know, hope that, it's, it's, you know, such game will come out uh, properly for the release. Uh, you know, mm. they, I, I felt like they, when I was working with them, I felt like they really understood this part of the uh, process, the FPS and the... Uh, you know the how to and make the game looking good at the same time do you find it harder to draw something that's based off an existing property or drawing something from scratch right because say with star wars you are limited in how far you can take it because it has to conform to a certain design philosophy doesn't it it has to look a certain way whereas opposed to you making something off the top of your head, right? You have the freedom to make it however you want to make it. Uh, I think that it's harder to actually make 
um, build something existing, especially for Star Wars, because you know they'll shred to death if you kind of miss a point on a character or a spaceship, <laughs> right? I, I that's what I think. Like resemblance is generally hard, and resemblance of a known entity is even harder. So I personally feel like even though you might have a lot of reference, et cetera, but getting the impression or the realistic look of that particular character uh, is generally harder, especially if you're working in films. I mean, you have to be dead on with everything to mm. make it, pull it off. Hobby games are more forgiving, right? You know, you're flying over, let's say, a, a snowy terrain. There are some snow troopers down there. You know, you, you can't really get close to them, but at the same time, they have to look right, whether you are, close to them or not you know, if you're making fundamental mistakes with the asset they'll still look wrong mm. yeah how do you think a game like that would be made today right because you've got a lot of open source software uh yeah. obviously blender unreal although i don't know if unreal is technically open source it's but, you know source I mean. open i think it's source open yeah yeah but obviously you have all these different uh proprietary software uh that's that obviously helps streamline things compared to back in the day but then you've got other challenges with that i suppose as well right yeah so um first of all when i was working in games there weren't game engines for like uh downloadable game engines even if there were they were like very primitive like everyone had to make their own game engine back then including factor fire I most like the look starts to. And I'll tell you this, we will hear stories about Unreal and Unreal had a price tag on it for a million dollars back then. So if you want, if you wanted the Unreal 25 years ago, Unreal Engine, which probably was like 1% of what it is today, uh, it was a million dollars. So and that's why I think most studios really uh, were creating their own game engines. And also, you know, you're working with specific hardware. It's not clear if Unreal is going to work on it or not. So do you see what I mean? So back then, um, this wasn't necessarily possible given, you know, like in many ways, uh, because there weren't many developers out there. There were many game engines out there. So we, you couldn't really pull this off that way. But nowadays, it is really possible to um, make a game like Rogue Leader, with, you know, like a less in less time especially because there are so many references out there, models. I mean, you can't just buy a Star Wars model and put it in your Star Wars game, right? You need to have the rights, the IPs, whatever. Uh, but let's say you have all that stuff and George gave you the license to make a game, modern game. You could really pull it off and you know make some even better looking game nowadays, given, on, given you can iterate without the real hardware and your artist can actually work in the game test everything in the game and and we have so many other tools back then when i started like i said there were 3d painting there were normal map normal maps i mean i'm sure technically normal maps was known but baking a normal map was not a thing i think that came out somewhere in 2003 or maybe after 2004 uh, like like being able to bake light maps and stuff like that, but nowadays all that all that is so easy, you know, um, and it doesn't necessarily cost you. Between Blender and Unreal, you can. It's all about your time. How much time you want to put in this? 
right? You know, it, it will be pretty much free to uh, create this stuff, in, including the hardware. I mean, the hardware is cheap too, given how much power they provide. Hmm. Would you like to see a remaster of those games or a remake of some yeah, sort? Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. You mean for um, like a Nintendo or or like a oh, PC for whatever. If, if they if they made it across all platforms or even on PC yeah. or Xbox, yeah. I, I just think a remake or a remaster of of those games would be great because I think one of the biggest problems is you don't have access to them currently in their current form. Yeah. Um. And I think uh, you, the, the funny thing is that you, yeah, you could probably use the same model, just update the textures. Yeah, you could. So yeah. if they if they wanted to hire you as a contractor to do a remaster, you'd be up for it. Yeah, if you had the time. Yeah, for is. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. I mean, it's something I've done, and it will be really nice to you know go back and work with those guys again to, on, on a remaster version for sure, for sure, and. Uh, and we have so many, like, it's not just about being able to model something or texture something, but rendering engines improved so much. Uh, for instance, when we were working on Rogue Leader, we didn't, I mean, there weren't really that many, you know, Earth-like levels, but I remember there was a new Sky model uh, published in SIGGRAPH and they were able to implement it for the for Rebel Strike. And the skies look so great, like so awesome. Suddenly, like, it's, it was like a switch, right? because it just kind of gave a sense of an, an, like atmosphere or environment because of this new sky model, a real-time sky model. Hmm. And nowadays, you know, we have all kinds of rendering techniques and rendering methods. I mean, even the hardware is insanely powerful nowadays. I mean, if you are making a Rogue Leader game, it should look like a movie now. Yeah, that should be the target. Yeah, like, exactly I like a definitely movie. agree, yeah. I'm surprised there hasn't been another one. They haven't made another yeah. one since. If you ever talk to them, just bring it up. <laughs> yeah, I definitely will. <laughs> definitely will. Are you able to disconnect yourself from your work in terms of the, the fact that like you can appreciate it for what it is? Because I know with some creatives, right? You can create something and then you look back on it in hindsight and you look at all the things that are wrong with it or the stuff you would have fixed. And obviously, as an artist, you're constantly improving as well. But yeah, are you able yeah. to just uh, look at your previous work and just enjoy it, or do you always see the flaws in it? Uh, if if you know if you're talking about just historical uh, viewpoint, I think we need to uh, judge everything by their time when they were made, how they were made, the hardware limitations of that time. So, given that. Uh, to answer your question, I think we did what we could at that time. So I'm not really being harsh on myself or our teammates back then. Uh, but if there's a chance or opportunity to improve them, there's a lot of ways. There are a lot of ways to improve them, and we could even do much better. Because now, most of those guys are working on various at various companies, you know, like Epic or uh, other companies. So we also know how to make things better. You know what I mean? So we could probably make even them better because, like I said, back then, most of us were much more much more, uh, younger. Uh, we didn't really understand the hardware. Like artists didn't really understand the hardware. We didn't really know anything about the GameCube because, like I said, we never owned them. We didn't necessarily have a chance to play with them. And all we had was just okay, numbers that were given to us. You have 2,000 polygons for this character or 
And because and that's generally, I think we were just targeting something like this, 50 to 100,000 polygons per level. I mean, right now, uh, like your phone can probably do a couple million polygons <laughs> easily. Yeah. A frame. Uh, so basically, there were you know real harsh solid limits on us. Uh, so that way, I don't think that I don't I don't look back and say, oh god damn it, I did a horrible job with this one or horrible job with that one. I think everyone tried their best to do what was possible uh, with that hardware at that time. Hmm. Because you know how to do coding now, don't you? You, little you're bit, not just yeah. your expertise isn't just in art you know how to do yeah. quite a lot of different things yeah yeah how yeah so i mean you taught yourself all this stuff obviously I'm yeah guessing. i did I, I i learned i learned programming myself uh, i learned mainly to uh actually i wanted to make a small uh kind of arcade game myself small thing i oh, started cool. back then i was using goto engine when the goto engine came out first and i started using it and and I was just testing some ideas with it. And then I also realized, damn, you know, knowing programming is one thing, but if you're working in 3D programs, if you wanted the 3D stuff, you have to kind of also study math and physics. I started learning physics and studying math, even though I hated when I was a kid. But you know, <laughs> I was like, God, why didn't why didn't they teach this stuff like this? Yeah. Right? You use this this sign function to make this, or like when you're in school, you're, they are teaching all this stuff in like some abstract reality in another dimension. Uh, but they have really uh, real uh, real applications and real real world uses, you know. So anyway, so that's kind of how I started learning programming and start doing things. And then now I mostly use Python to make add-ons and you know stuff for Blender. Or other stuff are you at all worried by ai and and pr programs like mid-journey that can just oh. create artwork from scratch oh and i think that's a that's a very uh like it, there's no easy answer to this as you know uh it's a it's a very complicated topic it doesn't just involve art or, or you know ai models are stealing artwork i feel like uh, humans created a, a hole that they can't, uh, much deeper hole than they can handle, if you will, with the AI stuff. So yeah. at some point, we have to wait and see how it's unfolding. Uh, but at the same time, we need laws to protect artists because, um, you know, there's an, this kind of technology creates overproduction and saturation of the uh, market. And that really, that's kind of, that's kind of the main problem with, with this stuff. Like, uh, you know, right now, for instance, these AI models can create uh, simple uh, 3D geometry models, stuff like that. So they're not, they don't have real production value right now, but in let's say three or four years or six months, they might be able to just create like Marvel level, you know, Marvel movie level uh, as production work or assets. And then that means, you know, hundreds of people out of work or people who are really good at this, right? Uh, creating uh, works or assets or sculpts for Marvel projects or designs for Marvel projects. At the same time, that's the reality. It's coming up and it will affect our industry, our business, um, depending on where you are, positively or negatively, right? If you are 
your producer, you're yeah. trying to cut the cost always. Of it's course. Great. <laughs> yeah. But if you're on the on the ground and you're trying to make a living from this, then it's a uh, it's a hard problem to handle because first of all, these models devour internet and you know sample everything everyone ever said, everyone ever done, and then uh, you know mix them together and come up with something relatively new, not necessarily new because they, they need humans. These AI models need human output to be able to do what they are doing right now. Um, so, uh, in a way, that's kind of hard. Either we have to shut down internet so they they stop doing what they are doing. These models and their people behind them, um, or find a unique way. But at the same time, I'm I'm really hopeful because, you know, organic beings are very persistent. Like we, you know, we survive on earth, you know, for billions of years, went through a lot. So this might be a minor annoyance for human beings at the same time too. It's really, really hard to say, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah, it's scary. Like they're gonna, you know, these models are gonna steal our job, but at the same time, something something better might come out of it too at the same time if you want. Well, it's not even just art, right? Because AI in general yeah. has taken off and it it's almost infiltrated so many different industries i mean my right. view on it is you probably shouldn't be a master of one thing you should probably yeah. diversify and try and have like a very diverse skill set just right. to prevent yourself from from your work becoming obsolete right yeah which you i mean that's what i done. try to do because you can do a yeah. lot of things that's so what you, I you're okay yeah <laughs> i i do recommend like first First of all, like some people like to be specialized in one thing, where they just want to model the heads all their lives. I have I have friends like that, and I I I've done heads and sculpts stuff like that. Am I as good as them? Probably not. But uh, that's that's one way to take a look at it. Like one way, if that's your, that's fulfilling your life as a profession, as as an art form, hey, that's great. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. But the the point you're raising here is very very important. You know, there's like at some point, an AI model will be able to create a 3D model of a head from a single photo or a, a webcam photo, and they'll be able to print this, you know, using a 3D printer at a much cheaper cost. And at that point, your job is in danger, right? If you're a, if you're a sculptor. The other side of the coin is this: we human beings really like human touching things, right? Like, let's say I, I showed you a sculpture and I said, this is done by a human. I lie, I'm lying to you. It's, it's done by a, a machine, right? Let's say a, a sculpture that's made by a machine, but I'm telling you that it's done by a human being. You, you will have some kind of affection towards this sculpture, artistically, let's say. But then when I tell you, this is actually, no, I lied to you. This is actually done by a machine. Then you will, you will, you will be remorse. You will remove all those feelings you had toward this artistic work prior, right? You're just going to remove yourself from that. You, dis, you will disattach yourself in a way. So we actually like things that are by humans. You know, we're not necessarily putting the AI art at the same level as human art. So we, ha we haven't done that yet. As long as that's the case, as long as we have the human side towards the artwork that's created by humans versus machines, I think there's always going to be a market for humans because human artists. 
uh, although it sounds funny, human artists, robot artists, or AI artists, but eventually <laughs> it will get there. And I feel like that then I feel like we need to segregate human art versus AI art. Let's say, let's say there's art station for artists, right? Real artists who are really putting their time, their sweat, their tears, whatever. And there are the AI artists, they just use AI as a tool. I, I don't think we should mix them. Like they should be showcasing their works in different places to, to help both sides. Uh, so as far as the AI art, I, that's kind of where, where I am, how I'm looking at it. They are not necessarily the same thing. They're completely different things. And I think we should treat them as as such. But in production, in, in movie production or game production, these things uh, will have real effects, negative effects and a positive effects. So you will be able to just sit down, prompt your game, and this thing will create a game from scratch, right? Not using a single artist, not using a single programmer, and you'll be able to create your own game. But how many games can you play a day? Like how many prompts can you do? That's like, we have limited lives. We don't have infinite consumption uh, powers. And there's that too. Yeah, that sounds really great, being able to make a game, but you know what? I still like to play the games that I played when I was a kid. I don't want new games. I was happy with the ones that I played. When. Do you know what I mean? It's not yeah, yeah. old production being able to produce a lot of stuff in like in a split second is not necessarily a good thing. You're just going to overpopulate uh, the market and just, you know, then it becomes a curating problem. So you have a million, let's say every year, 5 million new games are added to Steam, right? Yeah. Five million new games sounds crazy, but that's doable in a couple of years. But who's gonna play it? You know, let's say Steam has at uh, twenty billion games on the Steam marketplace, and we are total eight billion people. You know, like how many games? Like you know what I mean? <laughs> this and there's there's that problem, the oversaturation of the market. Uh, I just read that Spotify removed like millions of AI generated yeah. music. That's right. That's right. right. So it's 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 a battle that needs to be done, taken properly, seriously. But at the same time, the 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 speed of uh, creation is going to outperform the speed of filtering, too. So that's that's an, another problem. Like you know, let's say uh, Spotify will be removing five million songs a day, but then fifty million songs will be submitted every day. And I think. I, I'm not really sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I feel like that's that's where we are right now as far as the AI uh, being part of art nowadays. Yeah, it is it is scary in a way uh, because obviously I think even already right the gaming industry, film industry, music industry have already right have oversaturation anyway. I would say yeah, yeah it's very hard to filter out things i mean i'm not sure about yourself but a lot of game developers that i speak to they don't even get the opportunity to play games they have very yeah. limited time right i mean right. i right. i host a gaming show and i don't even get that much time to play video games <laughs> so and and then if you add in all these ai games on top of that it's just it would be impossible to stay up with everything yeah i think that in the end eventually the quality will need to be part of the equation, not the quantity. Yes. And I would think that quality will be judged by how many humans worked on it or how much human effort went into it. I think that's really, that's still a formula for 
for value. Human effort is still a formula for value, you know, uh, and that that's probably not going to change. It, it changes its form, but it's always going to be there. You know, like someone is going to say, you know what, I spent five hours prompting this, and and that's going to be more valuable than someone saying, you know what, I just did five minutes prompting this. You know what I mean? It's still mm. still the human time is going to be the main decisive point in 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 understanding this stuff understanding how how high quality it is or understanding how valuable this game or art is so humans are always going to be in the loop and anyone who's not including humans in the loop is just going to saturate the market it's just going to overflow the market i mean that's a that's that's a way to ch- shut down the system with a coming up with something new maybe but um it's it's very hard because there are a lot of people out there who wants who want to make really quick money right they want to be able oh, to just yeah. make really quick money. Yep. And every industry too. Every industry. Yeah. So quality is yeah. constantly I, compromised. I'll ask you this. I mean, I saw the other day people were creating podcasts, you know, conversational podcasts using chat GPT and some voice <laughs> yeah, yeah. stuff too. So like, how, how do you take that? Like, what's your take on AI models creating nonsense podcasts? I mean, I'm sure there's an audience for it, but. Oh, well, I don't like it, but I kind of yeah. find there's there's two mindsets you can have. You can either try and fight it, and right. then you just you end up being like the dinosaur and you just go extinct, right? Because you're just yeah. too busy trying to fight it, or you just accept it for what it is and find a way to try and deviate or pivot somewhat. I mean, even YouTubers, right? There's so much rubbish on YouTube, people posting videos all the time. It's just absolute garbage but they're just doing it to yeah. get ad revenue so it, it is it is what it is it's just it um luckily i don't i don't rely on this like to put food on the table so it's it's cool yeah. so i think if i had to rely on it and then it could become a problem which is part of the reason why i wouldn't want to rely on it because then i'd have to possibly compromise the quality because desperate times, desperate measures, and then you result in doing stuff that morally you wouldn't do, but you have to do because you need to make money to put food on the table. So then, yeah. yeah so, so you understand my point though, right? So Yeah, you're right. I do. I think there are like two, going back to production using AI. So there's the biggest problem. Uh, there are two two problems that I see, the biggest problems myself think as the real problem. Now, I, I'm not saying, you know, AI models stealing artists' artwork is not a real, that's a real problem that can be somewhat resolved on, and handled through law and education, uh, educating people about what's right to do, what's wrong to do in a way. But the, there are two big problems here. First of all, let's say you have been doing these podcasts, you know, talking to people and you realize, you know what, you don't even need to talk to people. You can just talk to AI and create really exciting podcasts that, that uh, people listen. And then, then then you realize you don't even need to be there, right? Then you let AI to talk to AI, whatever. Then you train AI to ask the question that you generally ask, let's say. But the problem is this. You did that and you made a lot of money, but you, you forgot how to be a podcaster, you forgot the skill, you forgot the trade, you know what I mean? You you, you stop investing in podcast hardware and the podcast hardware makers stop making podcast hardware. You know what I mean? Like this is gonna be a kind of uh, long effect 
on humanity. Like you remember, people don't kind of know how people did paint in back in the Renaissance. There was a kind of disconnect. I'm not saying they don't know how to do it, but just we don't always know how a master did something. Uh, like how they made this, what kind of pigment they use. If you're just trying to find it retroactively because the, the skill set, the traits uh, uh, kind of lost in, in the translation along the way. And I think AI is going to make us forget all that stuff too. So that, I think that's the, one of the main dangers where we rely on AI to uh, create beautiful portraits, beautiful artwork, beautiful this, beautiful. But as, as we like this stuff and as we use this to create more and more and more stuff, they're also giving up our own time to practice this stuff. I think that's a really important problem. So if you're an artist trying to use AI in your artwork, please keep this in mind. Yes, it's gonna make you make money faster, but at the same time, there's a trade. There's always a cost to everything. So if they're making money in the short term, you might be giving up some other stuff that you learn, spend all your life learning. And the other thing is uh, these AI models in the future where they'll govern our lives. You know, they'll tell what we should like, what what you should listen, what you should watch. We, we they're tell already you doing who it. You are. <laughs> yeah, they're already doing you know, you know, like acting psychiatrist, whatever, psychologist for you. I, I think there's a problem with the free will here. Where will we have free will in the future? And I think that there's something we have to really um, think truly because we can't give up everything in life except free will because that's what makes us human. That's what makes kind of separates us from the rest. And if we think that's a valuable thing, uh, the free will is the, the last battleground that we should be fighting for, especially the artists, in my opinion. Because free will gives us the ability to uh, be unique, be ourselves, live different lives, uh, sometimes work towards common goals, sometimes not, sometimes we work hard for, for ourselves. And we are able to create, you know, build our own lives. But in the future, this might not be as un as a unique experience per, per, per person, if you will. I don't know if that makes sense, but I, those are the main areas that, uh, that I feel like AI is going to have big impact, negative or positive mm. in the long run. Just to tie it back to Star Wars, I mean, that franchise would be one of the ones that I think it would be easy to manipulate with AI the most because you already have pre-existing assets right. that you could yeah. funnel through AI to create stuff. I mean, we're right. not quite there yet, but it could theoretically, you could have like a new Rogue Squadron game that's based off all these assets from the movies Right. You might not be able to tell the difference. That's my worry. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they only do that, like, you know, using GTA 5. I've seen someone doing, uh, like, a GTA 5, trained on GTA 5 data frames, like, gameplay. Yeah. And this game was able to hallucinate the game in a different context, like, different, yeah. like, the hallucinating levels that were based on the what it saw and the thing, right? A similar color scheme, similar kind of car looking things or human little, but you could tell it was a car game, but it, that car game or to that level didn't exist in GTA 5 originally. So uh, I, my point is that it's going to get there where they're just going to play, let's say 100 people will play Rogue Leader or Rebel Strike and all that data will be fed into um, the AI model and AI model will come up the remastered version. Mm. that you had been looking for yeah. all these years. 
Well, I hey. mean, it's, it, it is possible, yeah. Yeah. As much as I'd w love to keep talking to you, I'll, I will wrap up there yeah. and let you get back to doing what you're doing. Thank you so much for taking time out. I very much appreciate yeah. it. I'm advocating for remasters or remakes of those Rogue Squadron games. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if it can get you additional work, hey, that'd be great, yeah. eh? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, if I if I meet them, I'll tell them that we need, we need a remastered version. Everyone that has been asking me about it. Yeah, because otherwise, the only way to play them currently is you either have to have a GameCube or you have to illegally download a ROM. So, right for sure, that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, mm. I hope they make it. Again. Mm. All right, everyone, that is the show. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And until next time, stay safe.